The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. It's where we were last week. Only got through the first half, and so we'll do our best to finish today. We'll be sharing a lot of scripture as well this morning, and so we're going to do our best to have it up on the screen. Someone suggested that. I thought it was a good suggestion, so we're going to try our best to do that today. So hopefully it happens. But look at Galatians 4, verse 1 through 7 with me. We'll, we'll read it again, try to do a quick recap of where we left off, and then dive into the rest of it. It says, Now I say that the air is long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. If you try to remember back with me last week, we walked through verses one through four together. And Paul talked about an heir and a slave, and he compared what it meant, saying you, you saying kind of that heirs and slaves were the same, which doesn't really make sense at, at first. But as you dive into it, we talked about the fact that as an heir, you really don't have a right to anything. No, nothing is yours. It's all your father's at that point. And so you're being told what to do. You're under guardians, you're under tutors, you're being told when to go to school, when to go home, when to go to bed, when to train, all of these different things. You, you own nothing, nothing is actually yours, just like a slave. And so that had to be a hard time for heirs. And again, Paul is giving us this example to compare us with that heir. Because then he gets into verse three and he says, you are slaves to the elementary principles of this world. And we talked a little bit about what that meant, being slaves to elementary principles of the world, meaning the law, meaning God's law there, and how we were held under bondage to the law. We were, we were slaves to the law. It wasn't something that we could overcome. It, it wasn't something that we could get past. We were held down by that. It was impossible to get past it. But that's when the glorious verses of verse four through five came in, of which we started to walk through but didn't finish. Because Paul says, but when the fullness of time had come, the fullness of time had come. And this is an important phrase there, when the fullness of time had come, because at the exact perfect time that God desired, Christ came into the world. And again, we, we discussed how that can be hard for some people to think about. We, we struggle sometimes with God's timing because not only did he send Christ into the world at a specific time, he saved you at a specific time, at the exact specific time. My prayer is that for some of you, maybe that would be this morning, that this morning you would understand his grace and that, the, that he would save you through his grace by the blood of his son, through the power of the spirit. 
right? And so at God's perfect time, these things happen. These things take place. But then it said, at the perfect time, God sent forth his son. Now there's some importance to these things. It's something that we take for granted, understanding that God the Father would send his son so that you could be a part of his family. We talked about how much that costs the father, right? Well, uh, oftentimes when we, when we think about it, we, we look to Jesus and what Jesus had done and we say, man, that costs Jesus a lot. It cost him his life. It cost him pain. It, it cost him suffering. But how much did it cost the father? Uh, yesterday, I was at a cross country meet and I don't remember who said it to me. It was one of the parents and they said, I know for a fact I'm way more nervous than my child is right now. Parents, have you ever experienced that before? Maybe you played sports your whole life and then you have a kid and they go to play a sport and you find yourself just a wreck in the, in the stands. I mean, your, your stomach is, is churning and you, you're wanting them. Why is that? Because you care for them. You love your children. And so when the father sent forth his son, this was a great act on behalf of the father. It cost the father a lot as well. And within this, we see the divine nature of Jesus that he was sent forth. He wasn't created. He wasn't, he wasn't made. He, is, he always had been. And so Jesus is divine. He, he is fully God. And the importance of that is that when we sin, we sin against God. And so when we need forgiveness of our sins, it's to God that I need to go for forgiveness. And so God had to make a way for this forgiveness to be done. And so this was through Jesus. And so we see his divine nature, but then also that he is born of a woman. And so we talked about that as well, that he was, he was born of a woman shows that he was, yes, fully God, but also that he was fully man. And this is important because we see that Jesus took on flesh and he took on all the problems of this world, all the temptations of this world. And one of the reasons for that is so that he could sympathize with us in our sin and what we struggled with in our temptations. I, I gave you homework. I, I'm assuming very few of you did it, but I said, read Hebrews. Read the book of Hebrews and you'll see the importance of Jesus being fully man because that's the only way that he could be the perfect high priest was to take on flesh to understand exactly what we are going through. One of the biggest struggles I see for teachers as I, as I try to train people to, to teach within the church is they say, but I've never been through that before. How, how can I counsel a family through, through a death when I haven't experienced that in my life, you know, or, or how can I talk to them about divorce when that's not been a part of, of my family or part of my upbringing or, or whatever the, the case might be? How can I, as a man, go in and teach women what the Bible teaches about being a woman? See, there, there are limits, right? There are difficulties because I'm not perfect. I, I don't understand everything. But what we see with, with Scripture, what we see with Jesus is he does completely, fully, he understands it 100%. There's nothing that can get away from him. Him being fully God and fully man is perfect. But then it goes on to verse four, which we didn't talk about last week, and this is where we'll start. It says, born under the law. This is important for us because Jesus was required to keep the whole law. Being born a Jew, being born under God's law, he must fulfill all of those laws, absolutely everything. And the amazing thing that we see in scripture is that Jesus did just that. 
Every command, every law, he fulfilled 100% beyond a shadow of a doubt. There was no sin found in him. He was the spotless lamb, perfect in every single way. And so when you see that born under the law, this needs to come to your mind, but also what needs to come to your mind as well is Galatians 3.13. And if you reference back to that, which we've already, we've already studied that, but if you reference back to that, Galatians 3.13, it says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. You see, Jesus being born under the law enabled him to be able to die under that law. Even though, that he never, even though he never sinned against God, although that he fulfilled every command of the law, the Bible tells us that Jesus died under the law. They found him guilty of blasphemy. Well, there was a reason Jesus was speaking like that. When Jesus would say, I forgive you of your sins, and they would approach him and say, only God can forgive sins. Jesus would look at them and say, ta-da. Yes, I'm God. I mean, that's what Jesus was saying, and that's why he died. He went to the cross because of that. That's what they accused him of, but it was true. It was true, and so he, he then dies under the law to become a curse for us, in our place, in our place. Because that's what it says next in verse five. Born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. To redeem those who are under the law. Jesus paid the full price for our redemption. The full price was paid. We do not have to pay it anymore. Nothing, nothing within that redemption was forgotten. Nothing was, was half done. Absolutely everything was complete. That's an amazing thought for me. Because even just this week on Friday, I spent a lot of time outside working in my yard. I had, I had a, lot of, a lot of work to do. And real early in the morning, I called, I called Pastor Roy. I said, I need your help. I need to go to Menards. I need to pick up some metal. I need your trailer. So we went over there. He didn't help me carry it in. He just dumped it in my yard. He's like, all right, whatever. Just dump it there. I'll get it. I'll get it later. So it's in my yard. I had all kinds of things to do. So all day I was working, I was working. My dad came over, helped me close my pool a little bit, something that I, I couldn't do on my own. And I said, all right, I got about two more hours of cleaning. And so I went out in my yard and cleaned. I cleaned, I cleaned, I cleaned. And I remember the feeling. I shut my shed and I said, it's over, it's finished. And as I walk into my house, I see to my right, the stinking metal and all the wood and the straps that bound the metal just laying in my yard. And I remember thinking, it's not done. It was half done. And that's how I seem to live my life, it seems like. I don't know if any of you struggle with that at all, but I want to accomplish everything. I want everything to get done. And I have grand plans that when I do this task, it's gonna be easy. It's gonna go right in the spot, bop, 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 done, over. It never works that way. Absolutely never works that way. And so I oftentimes go to bed very frustrated, very angry that how little I accomplished and feeling like, and I say this to my wife kind of often, I feel like I'm drowning. I feel like I'm drowning. There's so much stuff to do around here. There's so much stuff to do at the church, so much stuff to do places. I feel like I'm drowning. When I see that Christ completely redeemed me, 
It helps me in those situations. Because if it was left up to me to redeem myself, I would never get it done. I would absolutely never accomplish it. The task would never be finished. I would finally shut the shed. I would finally go to walk in the house for some peace. And no doubt, just over my corner would be another sin. It would be something else that I hadn't even thought of, something else that I hadn't even began to deal with. But praise be to God, Jesus did it for me. He completed it for me, absolutely complete. And what I want us to note is this. He didn't just... He didn't just wipe it away and say kind of, you know what? You're not responsible for this anymore. It didn't happen that way. What he did is he paid the price for it. He took it upon himself. No, no, Tim, you go and sit down. I'll get the wood. I'll get the metal. I'll I'll close the pool. I'll do all the work that you have to do. I'll, I'll build the bedroom. I'll put the ceiling on. I'll do it all. You sit. It's finished. It's complete. He doesn't just say, ah, don't worry about it. No, it has to be done. It had to be done. And Jesus paid the absolute full price for your sins and for my sins. He became a curse. He took God's wrath in our place. Why? To redeem us from under the law. At the perfect time to redeem us under the law. But it doesn't stop there. It says, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. All that God has done for us as we've walked through Galatians, as Paul starts to wrap up this little section, all that God has done for us so that we can be adopted into his family, so that we can declare him our father, our father. Now, this next point might not seem very important to you, but I find it to be important and There is a difference between the fact that God justifies us and the fact that God adopts us. And I want to point this out uh, the best way that I can. So our justification is different than our adoption. And you say, yeah, but doesn't it all happen at the same time? Yeah, kind of, but but it's different. And I, I want you to see the difference because I want you to see the complexity of God. And I want you to see that This isn't just, again, I'm just gonna wipe all this stuff away, no big deal. Oh, you're saved now. You're part of my family. It is a big deal. We have have some seminaries as Southern Baptists, and one of them, this is a very creative name, is called the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And the person who started that was James Boyce. Now there's a Boyce College is the undergraduate uh, college there, university there. He wrote something called the Abstract of Principles, which has to be signed if you're going to be a student there, if you're going to work there on faculty. But he also wrote a book called The Abstract of Systematic Theology. And in this book, I was reading it this week, he has a section on adoption. In one of the sections, it's called uh, The Gracious Origin of the Adoption. So again, this might be a little nerdy for some of you, and that's okay. Uh, Just bear with me. Some of you are going to love it because you're nerds. So it is what it is. But the origin of this adoption, and I want to kind of walk through it real briefly and and hopefully explain it. But his first point was this. He said, "It, it is not due to any natural relation, either originally possessed or restored through justification. So our adoption to God is not because of some relationship that we have with God. It's not there. God could justify you 
but not include you in his family. You know that? He absolutely could. He could say, price has been paid, good, see ya. But no, he also adopts us. But it's not based on any relationship that you've had with God before or even at salvation. Number two, he says, nor does it arise from any new image or likeness of God, which has come through him through regeneration. So when God saves you, he's not, he doesn't make you into some new image, give you more of him, more, more God's image in you so that now you're worthy to be adopted. That, that doesn't happen either. That, that doesn't take place there. Third, he says, it is the simple gift of God's love to those who by faith are brought into union with his proper son. Now you need to hear that. The reason that you're adopted by God is because of God's love for you. When God justifies you, it's because of justice sake. It's because of Christ's righteousness being put on you. But, but when God adopts you into his family, what you should feel, what you should sense, what you should know is that's God's love allowing you to be a part of his family. God doesn't have to do that, but because of his gracious love for you, he goes a step further and says, you know what? You're actually mine. You're in my family now. Fourth, he says, it is an act originating entirely in the good pleasure of God. We see this in Ephesians 1.5. Entirely in the good pleasure of God. It pleases God, hear this. It pleases God to include you into his family. Some of you need to hear that word this morning. You feel like it doesn't please anybody to see you. You feel absolutely worthless. But if you're saved by the grace of God, then it takes his good pleasure of accepting you into his family as well. Even if the whole world betrays you, but to be a part of God's family, you win. You win. Uh, fifth thing, it is due meritoriously only to the work of Christ. It could be founded thus upon nothing else. What you have to understand is being a part of the, of the family of God, being adopted into God's family is only because of the work of Jesus and what he did, not your work. So I, I mentioned last week, I don't know if you guys remember, some of you talked to me about it, the cost of adoption and the, the process of adoption. And, you know, it costs twenty, thirty thousand $30,000. It takes months and months or even years to work through the, through the whole process. That, that's the work that needs to be done. That is the cost of it. Well, the cost for you to be a part of God's family, nothing on your part, 100% Jesus. He has fulfilled it. He has earned it. Sixth thing, it is conferred like justification upon all who by faith receive Christ. Again, pointing to the importance of, of faith in Christ, of what Christ has done, of us believing, accepting by faith the truth of God's word in Jesus and who he is. Then lastly, he said, it is bestowed at the beginning of the Christian career when there could be no ground for supposing it due to the character or acts of the recipient. So when that alcoholic is saved by the grace of God and is still stumbling in their speech, still stumbling in their walk, they're accepted into the family of God by the grace of God because of the work Christ has done for them. Not because they are pleasing, not because they have their act together, but because of what Jesus has done. I don't know how your family works, but I've heard families say this phrase before. Maybe yours has said it before, but 
They say something like, now, now you're one of us because you've done this or because you've done that. Oh, that's what it really means to be an Ico-Angeli. Oh, you get it now. God, God doesn't say that. The reason I'm a part of God's family is because Jesus, Jesus got it. Jesus fulfilled it. Jesus accomplished it. And that's what allows me the right to be adopted into his family. Do you see this love? Do you see the love that the father has? Do you, do you see his goodness in this? No one else has this love. Nobody else has this power. First John chapter three, verse one says, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. The love of the father given to us, the great love that God has for us can't be mistaken. Look at verse six. It says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. I wanna talk about some family similarities that we have being adopted into God's family. The first thing that is mentioned is that with adoption brings with it the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit into our life. And the, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does within our life is it enables us to cry out to our Father in a very personal way in a very deep and personal way. This is, this is where our relationship with God becomes very personal. Jesus himself did this. In Mark chapter 14, verse 36, you'll remember Jesus is in the garden. He's about to die. He knows what's about to take place. He stops and he prays. And the way he prays is this. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Or not my will be done, but your will be done. What we see here is we see Jesus crying out to his father. He needed his father in this moment. He wanted his father in this moment. He needed comfort. As the Bible says, as, he, as he's so anxious, sweating, sweating drops of blood, what he desires is for his father to comfort him. But at the end of the line, he says, but not what I want, but what you want. One of the ways that we prove our adoption, one of the ways that we know we are part of God's family is when we, like Jesus, can cry out to our father like this, because this is only done through the power of the Holy Spirit, where we say, God, Father, I'm, I'm hurting. Father, I'm, I am desperate. Father, I want out of this so bad. Father, I don't know what to do, but we don't end there. We end the same way Jesus ends. But Father, not my desires, not my wants, what you want. These types of prayers can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way it can be done as we understand the truth that God the Father wants good for you. Do you know that? Do you, do you understand that? In Romans chapter eight, it teaches us that. In verse 15 through 17, speaks to it. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, 
and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, I'm not saying these types of prayers are easy. I think, in fact, these types of prayers are difficult. I think it only comes about through a lot of training. I think it only comes about through a lot of discipleship, through a lot of growing. In fact, I think it only comes about as we understand what it means to suffer and share in the glory of the Lord through suffering. As we suffer, we share in the Lord's glory. I mean, that's what it said in verse 17 there. And if children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. As we're adopted into the family of God, we will suffer. We will face suffering, but we will not face it in a way where we feel there is no hope. We will not face it in a way where we assume there is no peace or we assume that our father doesn't care for us anymore or that he doesn't hear our cries. No, we will hold on to the truth that no, our father wants good for us. He wants good for us. It's pleasing to him that I'm a part of his family. And I don't know why I'm suffering, but I know this in my suffering, I will get to experience glory with him as well. I will experience glory with him as well. He's promised me that. In this, we see the work of the Trinity and the importance of the Trinity. I was just talking with somebody recently about how easy it is for us to listen to pastors on the radio or to listen to pastors on TV. And we really don't know much about them. And I want to encourage you, if you're going to do that, you need to study them up, okay? Don't just listen to what they have to say in that one message, but study to learn. Because there's a lot of people right now on the radio and on TV who do not believe in the Trinity, They call themselves Christians, but they're Unitarian. They do not believe Jesus was fully God. They don't believe in that. And so what we see here is the work of the Trinity. And this is why the Trinity is so important. First off, we see in this passage that God the Father adopts us. He's chosen us. We are his. He is our father. We see this in John 6, 37. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. You notice that? Everybody that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's the work of the Father. Gives them to the Son. But then what does the Son do? God the Son redeems us. He redeems us. He saves us. Colossians 1, 19 to 20. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That was the job of God, the son. But then also we have the God, the spirit. God, the spirit encourages us and enables us to persevere in Christ. John 16, 13 to 14. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit encourages us. The Holy Spirit enables us to do the work that God has called us to, but also the Holy Spirit perseveres us to the end so that we don't fall short, so that we receive the prize, so that we cross the finish line and we get the crown of glory in the end. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, sustaining us through to the end. 
Being adopted means it impacts our relationship with others as well. It impacts our relationship with our church, with our church family. I think this is important for us to hear this morning. Whether you like it or not, we are a family in the body of Christ. We're a family that God has brought together and we are called to act like it. When Paul was writing to Timothy, Timothy was the pastor of a church. He was a young pastor. And in telling Timothy how to handle his church members, how to deal with his church members, listen to to what he says. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. When, when God wants to describe to us how we're supposed to act, he goes back to the family. He says, treat each other like you would your dad. Treat each other how you would your sister or your brother. Care for each other. Love each other. Give, give grace to each other. Don't always expect the worst out of each other, but expect the best out of each other. Jesus prayed for this. In John chapter 17, verse 20 through 26, I told you I was gonna read a lot of scripture, but I don't have anything else to stand on. John 17, verse 20 through 26, when Jesus would pray, I want you to hear this prayer because I want you to reflect on it as I read this prayer that Jesus prayed for you if this is happening in your life. If this describes you in your relationship with your church family. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known uh, to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I want you to hear the intimacy of which Jesus is speaking as he prays that prayer to his father, saying, Father, just as you and I are one, make them one with us and together because that is how people are gonna know your love is in them as they love each other, how they are called to love each other. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a gut check moment for me. If Jesus is Lord of my life and I read these words that he is praying, Jesus himself is praying to God the Father that Tim would unify with fellow Christians that God has called him to and love them how Jesus loves the Father and how the Father loves him. Wow. I know my mind isn't set like that all the time. Absolutely not. Certain emails, it's really hard to love like that certain phone calls, certain backhanded compliments, right? All these little things, man, it's hard to love like that. But I don't see any footnotes that say, well, well, if they give you a backhanded compliment, then don't love them that much. 
Keep your guard up lest they hurt you. I don't see that. It says, no, you, you love them the same way that I love the father and that the father loves me. Lastly, verse seven, this will be quick. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. The time for us as Christians to be under a guardian is no longer needed. Jesus has come. Jesus has saved us. And we have been adopted into God's family. And we are now heirs. Heirs with Christ. Yes, we're still going to face hurts in this world. Yes, we will still face our father's discipline at times, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse about three through 11. That's going to happen. God, that's the way that God works in our life. It's a way that God helps us to grow is through his discipline. Yes, we will suffer. I think of the people who faced that hurricane this past week. Many Christians face that hurricane. Are they suffering? Absolutely. Absolutely, they are suffering. Does that mean God was mad at them? No. Does that mean God's judgment was raining down on them? No. It just means they're suffering. It's because of sin in this world that that happens. But we must remember, God the Father has adopted us. We are his. We are heirs to the throne. We are no longer slaves to the things of this world, but our heavenly Father has set us free so that we can live freely in his grace, so that we can live through his son who guards us and so that we can live through his spirit who enables us to love how we're called to love, to serve how we're called to serve. You know, it's so hard for me. I'll be, I'm just <clears throat> pretty honest. When I look at your guys' faces as I preach and I share something like, God has adopted you into his family. I want to see excitement. I want to see joy. And all the time, I don't, I don't really see it. Now, I'm guilty of that too. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't show the most emotion in the world. But I hope for that. One, one of the things that I was kind of taught as a preacher, and to be honest, I think it's completely wrong, is at the end, you got to work them up. Work them up to get them excited so that they will respond. Listen, I, I don't know how to do it any better than to say, for some reason, the God of the universe, the God who created all things in this world, the God who can do whatever he wants, sent his only son to die for you, to die for you. Why? So that you would call him father. I don't know what else I have to do to get you excited. In fact, I don't think I should do anything. My prayer is that God will get you excited through his word, that you will understand this truth extremely deeply, that for some reason, God would love pitily owe you. That some reason, God would love me. I have no doubt there's those of you here this morning, God is not your father. You've never been saved by his grace. You've never cried out to him in repentance saying, God, forgive me of my sins and understood that Jesus has made a way for that to happen. You know, you can this morning. The Bible says at just the right time, God sent his son. For you, that could be right now. The Holy Spirit could be drawing you in and God the Father could be saying, this is the time 
that you finally become part of my family. I would beg with you not to fight that. I would beg with you to submit to that, to give your life to Christ this morning if God is calling you to that. Christian, I would ask you this. Would you love each other as God the Father loves his son and as Jesus loved the Father? Would you act like that to one another? Would you give grace where maybe you think, I don't, they don't deserve grace. I'm sure they don't. Would you give grace? Because as you do that, people take notice. And that's how they know there's something different about this guy. There's something different about this lady. What is it? And God will open doors to you to say, well, I'm a part of a different family. My father is God the father. And he's called me to love these unlovables. And you know why? Because they love me and I'm unlovable. When we do that as a church, we won't have to worry about money. We won't have to worry about, hey, did I make sure I visited everybody this week who I should have? Is somebody mad at me? Because guess what? You guys will be doing that job. That'll be done. We'll want to visit. We'll want to care. We'll want to minister because we love each other and we know that's what's right. I'm going to ask you would bow your heads with me and close your eyes as we have a time of response to God's word. We're going to close with a song. I hope you'll respond how God has laid on your heart. God, I thank you for adopting us. I thank you that you cared enough, not, not just to save us, not just to declare us righteous, but then you made it even more intimate by allowing me to be a part of your family, to dine with you, to be able to speak to you every day, all day through prayer, to be able to read your word and to have the understanding because you've opened my eyes to the truth through the power of the Holy Spirit to see the truth of it. God, I, I pray for myself that you would help me not to get frustrated and allow that to override my love for fellow Christians as happens so often. God, help me to give grace and mercy and love, have patience. God, I pray that for all of us, that we would have patience with each other. God, I pray that people would be patient with me. I, I know that's gotta be difficult. But God, as we do that, the world will take notice. The people in our community will see a difference in our life and they will be drawn to you just through that. And God, that's why we're here, is to serve you, to share the gospel with other people. So God, as we respond to your word, help us to do it how we should. As we sing this song, help us to worship you. We ask in Jesus' name. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.